God was dealing with there and uh, those that had defiled their garments. And uh, he was trying to, to challenge and encourage the church that those that were still there, the portion of the church that had not yet died but was just about to die, that they would hold fast to those things, that they would continue uh, to fan the flames and keep that flame alive. And uh, that brings us now to the church uh, at Philadelphia, and that's in chapter, uh, chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse number 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I uh, make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall no more go, go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, for, uh, which, is the new, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As, uh, as has been done so often in all of the letters that we've looked at so far, God begins by speaking to the angel of the church, uh, which of course we understand to be the pastors of the church. And so understand that these uh, letters are written to the pastors with the idea that the pastor make the changes and bring them to the church and to be the leader of the church in making the things changed that need to be changed. Philadelphia is uh, only the second church of the letters that we've found that God does not have anything to complain about with them. He does not uh, give any kind of a, a, a critical remark or say that they are lacking in some way. Uh, but he does compliment uh, some of the things about them. And he starts his letter to the church by, as he does so often, uh, giving some information about himself to the church. And every time that he does this, it always seems to be ap applicable to uh, the things that he's going to be telling the church. And it, talks, it establishes his uh, authority, it establishes his position to be in such a place as to be able to give the information to the church that he's giving. And so I want to take a minute to look at how he describes himself. I love it when God describes himself. He reveals himself to us by doing this. And some people say, well, I want to know God more. Uh, then read your Bible more. He, he's given it to us to show us Himself. And we can never know all of it till we get to heaven uh, because the finite mind cannot understand fully the infinite. But God has chosen to reveal a lot of Himself to us, and there's a lot of Him that we can know about. And sad to say, oftentimes we don't because we neglect the reading of His Word. But notice what He says here in verse number 7. He says, These things saith he uh, that is holy. And I want to just start with this idea uh, of he that is holy. Uh, God, God expresses himself to be holy. And by the way, that ought to, uh, that ought to be enough for us. Amen? 
If God said it, it doesn't matter whether we believe it or not, that still settles it. So if God said it, uh, we ought to say amen to that, and that should be all there is to it. But it's interesting to me that in Scripture, even the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ considered Him to be holy. Do you know that? When Judas Iscariot had done what he did, uh, he spoke of the innocency of Christ. The fact that, that Christ was innocent. The devils in Scripture actually declared Jesus Christ to be the Holy One of God. That was their description of Him. Uh, even the devils recognized God's holiness and the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate's wife considered Him to be a just man. And Pilate himself, at the end of the judgment, washed his hands and said that he was not going to be held accountable for this man, this just man's blood. And he considered Christ to be innocent. And uh, if, if lost people... Can, can understand the holiness of Jesus Christ and, and the Lord. And if the devils can understand His holiness, why is it so difficult sometimes for we as Christians to understand His holiness? And when God comes to us and says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, uh, why is it that we have such a difficult time, especially in the day and age that we live, living lives that are holy? Uh, there's nothing wrong with teaching and preaching on living holy lives. Uh, we live in a day where everybody thinks, well, God is a forgiving God, and He is. Well, God is a long-suffering God, and He is. God is a God that is uh, infinite in His mercy, and He is. But He is also holy. As much as He is a long-suffering God, He is a holy God. As much as He is a forgiving God, He is a just God. And He expects His children to live in such a way that we reflect His holiness when Jesus was speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and preaching, and he gets to the area of what we call the similitudes, where he uh, applies uh, illustrations to what we are. He replied that Christians uh, are, are to be the salt of the earth. Uh, he talks about the salt that have lost its savor. And he talks about the fact that we're to be a candle. And he makes this statement as he says that. He doesn't say, I am the light of the world. He says, ye are the light of the world. Isn't that an interesting statement? If we're not careful, we'll misinterpret that passage and think, boy, I must have some great light of me, but not of me. It is Him being reflected through a vessel that is pure, untarnished, and holy, that can give a pure reflection of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ that is inside of us. And when He speaks of us being a light of, unto the world, it's not our light, it's His how much we do with that light is dependent upon our holiness and our testimony and our righteousness. The Bible talks about the fact that we can be spotted by the world. And so often we live in a day where uh, even Christian people don't mind. We, we have our favorite sins, uh, the ones that we like. Uh, we, get, we get upset and angry over sins that everybody else has. But we don't get angry over ours. And we live in a day where we have learn to lift the spiritual rug and sweep our sins under it and to go on uh, doing the way that we have always done and enjoying the, the season of sin for a season, uh, the, the pleasures of sin for a season, and not living holy the way that Christ is holy. And so God comes to this church. It's a great church. They're not doing anything wrong. And He begins with the description of Himself by saying, From He that is holy, He that is holy, He's without spot. He's kept Himself pure. It's interesting that when Christ came to this earth, the Bible says that He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews, it talks about the fact that we have not a high priest who's not touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He understands. 
He's been there. He's been through the trial. He sat there in the wilderness for 40 days as Satan tempted him. We've been given the privilege of hearing of three of those temptations. But God was tempted, uh, Christ was tempted in His earthly ministry in every point that we go through, and yet without sin. And He does this by way of example and encouragement to us that this is the level of life that we ought to be striving for. Now, we're not going to achieve that. Paul, in as great a man as he was, wrote more Scripture than any other human writer. He writes more Scripture. And as great a Christian as Paul was, even he said at the end of his ministry, he said, not as though I had already attained. He said, neither were already perfect. He said, I've not made it. I've striven for that. He, he talked about the fact that uh, he pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, he was pressing towards those things. He was longing for those things. But he wasn't quite there yet. And God begins this letter to the church at Philadelphia by way, I don't think, of chastening or causing them to be shamed by it, but by causing them to be encouraged by it. Saith he that is holy, keep up the good work, Philadelphia. You've remained unspotted. You've done some great things in my work, and I want to encourage you by this. This is the captain of your team that's leading the way and telling you, keep up the good work. And this is the idea that he's putting across here. He says, he that is holy. Notice he says, he that is true. And by the way, we've studied so often, when God says it, uh, you can count on it. It's going to be done. Even Satan understands that the end of the book has not happened yet. He, Satan understands the book of Revelation better than you and I probably do. And uh, he knows his days are limited. Uh, he that is true. Why? Because God said it. And that's all the, the reason we ought to need to believe in the things that God has given to us in Scripture. He that hath the key of David, and notice he says this, He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, was characterized by their missionary zeal. The fact that they were uh, spreading the gospel zealously. They were on fire for God. We would call this church uh, a church that was on fire. Uh, they were having, they were living in the life of a revived Christian, not just having revival, but living a revived life. And they were walking daily in these things. And uh, he says this. He says, uh, "Saith he that openeth, uh, 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 that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth." And that is in reference to doors of opportunity for sharing the gospel uh, with people. There are other uh, times where God speaks of this. Look with me, if you will. Hold your place for a moment. But look with me, if you will, in John chapter number 10. And we're going to look at a few verses here. So keep your Bibles handy. John chapter number 10. And let's look in verse number 7. John chapter number 10 and verse number 7. Then, Jesus, uh, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came out before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Christ is this open door. He, uh, John chapter 3 said uh, that uh, he loved the world so much, he says, they gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever, every man has the opportunity. We spoke of this uh, Sunday uh, as we dealt with some things that every man has had the opportunity in Romans chapter number 1 to know God. It is born, it is the innate nature of man when they get to a place of reason and understanding to seek for God. 
It's born in every single one of us. He is the door that we must go through. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And, and if God's will is that no man perish, that, that, any, that any man should not perish, but that all should come to repentance, then He's got that door sprung wide open for people. He's welcoming anyone to come and be saved. Look with me in the book of Acts, chapter number 14. Acts, chapter number 14. And, and I think sometimes when we go to tell people about the gospel message, uh, the gospel can be offensive as we teach them their condition. They have to understand that they're sinners, just the way we understood it when we got saved. They have to realize that there's nothing they can do to save themselves, just like we understood it when we got saved. And that part of it is hard for people to hear. That's, that's the thing that we don't like to, to hear that we're sinners. We don't like to hear that we've fallen short of the glory of God. But the gospel message is not a negative message. The gospel message is a message of hope. A gospel message is saying to somebody who's already condemned, I came to save you from that condemnation. John chapter 3, verse number 18. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. We were already condemned because of our sin. And the joy of the gospel, I, 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 it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how many times I watch on, on YouTube when I watch other services, and a lot of times I tune in and watch other churches. I enjoy getting good preaching. And I'm appalled sometimes at the, some churches play, play the preliminary or record the preliminary part of their service where they have the singing. And they'll have people get up and sing a special in church. And they look like they are the most downtrodden, most depressed person you ever met in their life, and they're singing victory in Jesus. Uh, something's wrong with that. Uh, I look at congregations sometimes. I have to stand up there and look at people. And uh, sometimes I want to say, tell your face what your heart's singing, you know. Uh, it's amazing, this thing of being saved. And it's not a, a message of uh, we, we, we tend to we tend to give. Uh, you ever you ever try to share the gospel with somebody, and your your face looks like it is when you're singing that special in church. You're telling them the greatest message man's ever heard. There there ought to be excitement when you talk about the things of the Lord. I, when I and I didn't used to be this way. When I was younger, it was a chore to tell somebody about the gospel. Anybody relate to me on that? You, you know what I mean by that. You just have a hard time. You're just like, oh, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I, I do the right verse. I do the right message. Just tell them that God loves them. He died for them. They need a Savior. That if they'll put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll come into their heart and save them. He'll give them the, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He'll wash away their sins and uh, give them a home in heaven for all of eternity. I'll tell you, you can't talk very much about salvation without getting excited about it. I get I get talking sometimes to people. I was I was talking with somebody here a while back, and I didn't even realize I did this. And uh, they're they're folks that don't even go to our church, and they said, uh, you know, Pastor, every time we get talking with you, the more we start talking, the more excited you get about it, uh, because we start talking about the things of the Lord. And I do, I get excited about those things. And and, and if we understand what God has done for us, it's not hard to be excited about being saved. And when we go to tell somebody else that they can have the same thing, uh, why is it that we're like, okay, let's, let's go to this passage and uh, let me just tell you, brother, uh, where's the joy? I, I want to tell them something that's going to be life-changing to them. 
I'm going to tell them something that's even going to change them after life. And this is the most wonderful news they ever heard. What an amazing thing to think about this. So we get to this place of salvation, Jesus being the only door. Look with me in Acts chapter number 14, if you will. Acts chapter number 14. Let's look at verse number 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how he had noticed this phrase, opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Was he talking about a, a physical wooden door that maybe he went to the church door and opened them up and said, okay, Gentiles, come on in. He wasn't talking of a literal door here. He's talking about a door of opportunity. Gentiles now have the opportunity. Aren't you glad Jesus included us? I'm going to tell you what, we'd be some of the, the saddest people on this earth if God had never included us. And, and we found last week in the book of Joshua that even back in the Old Testament, I think it might have been in Deuteronomy, even back in the Old Testament, God's plan was to include the Gentiles. He never meant to exclude us. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Jesus opens a door of opportunity, and He's the one that provides it. By the way, when we go and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, I think one of the great areas that we err in in sharing the gospel is by not spending enough time in prayer before we go, seeking for God's power and service, and seeking for Him to go before us and open the door. When God opens a door, and you guys have been there, some of y'all have shared some amazing stories of how you were able to share the gospel. When God opens that door of opportunity, and it, it, it's natural, you know what I'm talking about, some of you know what I mean by that. It's just the natural thing to share the gospel. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to labor at it. You don't have to figure out, well, boy, did I go uh, at this time and knock on the door and share that? It wasn't as structured as that. It was just I was ready to share the gospel. And the opportunity came. God opened a door. And it was just as natural as breathing to share the gospel. Can I tell you, that's the way a Christian ought to live when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. It was said of Charles Spurgeon when he went out with uh, some of his friends on a, on a very rare day that he took off and went on a picnic with them for uh, just a time of social time. It was said by his friends after the picnic, we never knew when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. What a testimony. What a testimony. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if sharing the gospel was as natural to us as breathing? The open door of opportunity presents itself and well, we just don't know any better than to step right through it. Well, we're living in the end times, and I believe time is short. And if we're going to reach people with the gospel, this church at Philadelphia understood this. And God introduces Himself in this letter as He that openeth the door, and no man can shut it. And shutteth, and no man can open it. Look, look with me, if you will, in Colossians chapter 3. Or, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 3. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 3. Again, to see uh, the difference here of the indication that throughout Scripture, God refers to this open door uh, as something that is a time of opportunity. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 3, "...with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance." Again, not speaking of a physical wooden door here, but of the opportunity to speak. "...open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ." For which I also, for which I am also in bonds. What's he speaking of here? He's speaking of the fact that he is the one that opens those doors. As much as I would like to take uh, take the the the, the uh, credit 
when I've shared the gospel with somebody, the truth is God opened that door. Oh, we ought to be looking every moment of every day for that door of opportunity. I, I, I've shared before, I don't oppose, and I, I don't think it's wrong at all for churches to have set times to go out soul winning. I think if many times if you don't have a set time and a place to go, you won't go. But it ought to be said of Christians that we are soul winners all the time. I think I've met people before that said, oh yes, I'm a soul winner. I go every Thursday night at 7 o'clock. That's not a soul winner. You're saying, I'm going to give God one hour a week to tell somebody about Christ. The soul winner is somebody who's looking every moment of every day. If he's awake and he's in public, he's looking for the opportunity to share the gospel. I'll tell you a secret, you don't have to wait till Thursday night at 7 o'clock to share the gospel. God can save at other times. Did you know that? That may not be good Baptist teaching, but it's good Bible teaching. Amen? <laughs> so, I know when I was growing up, boy, you didn't mess with Thursday night. That was it. You couldn't even talk about doing Saturday morning or another day of the week. It was That was locked in. But can I tell you this? We need to be in an attitude, an attitude of sharing the gospel everywhere we go. When that opportunity presents itself, give it. And, folks, we need to be more and more sensitive to that as the days get, get pass on here. Uh, look with me back in Revelation chapter 3 now. I'm going to show you one last one that we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, I'm going to show you one last reference to the door that is mentioned here. And uh, that is found down in the, the letter to the church of Laodicea in verse number 20, uh, chapter 3, verse number 20. God says this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He's speaking here of the opportunities now that men give to him. Am I going to give him opportunity to fellowship with me? Or am I going to push God out? God says he's the one that opens and closes these doors. But if we're not careful as Christians, we can push God out. We can shut that door on him. Notice as we get down here in verse number 9, uh, chapter 3, verse number 9. Oh, let's go to verse number 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. There are things that he commends them for, three of them here specifically, uh, that uh, they've taken advantage of this uh, open door by having a little strength. They've... they've made the effort, and by the way, anytime we serve God, it takes some effort. They made the effort to do the work. They have kept His Word. Boy, if we're not in need of revival in any other area, I would say this is an area of revival in Christian people that is so needed in the day that we live, and that is to keep God's Word. Not to hear it, not to preach it, to keep it. The truth is, we don't have a problem with not knowing enough of God's Word. The problem is we have a problem with doing enough of, of the Word that we already know. To keep the Word of God, to take heed to it. All that we would learn to take and, and apply God's Word. Uh, I, I'm appalled at how many uh, churches I see that are beginning to pass by the wayside. They're, they're starting to deny things in Scripture. They're beginning to teach philosophies of men. And they're not looking to Scripture for the answers. Or they're trying to change the Scriptures to fit their beliefs and what they hold to. Oh, that we would hold to the Scriptures alone. And say, oh, this is my, my sole and only authority of faith and practice. This church knew what it was like to do that. This church at Philadelphia, they kept God's Word. That was their primary thing. 
And then it says that they had not denied the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, this is the still uh, the first century time period uh, when there is immense persecution going on to the point where people were already being put to death. In fact, Peter, uh, John, uh, who is the writer of Revelation, is the only one of the twelve now, that, or the only one of the remaining eleven and the twelve that was added later, uh, that did not die a martyr's death. And it wasn't for lack of trying. They tried to kill him. And it didn't happen. He, God spared his life. We're living in a day, or this, these folks are living in a day where there is great persecution. And yet the Bible says that they have not denied the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've not denied His Word. They've not denied His truth. And they're doing it in the face of persecution. And I'm not talking about, <clears throat> we're going to put you in jail for a week if you preach the gospel. I'm not talking about, uh, we're going to fine you uh, $1,000 if you get up and preach in church. I'm talking about when they are told, if you get up and preach again, we're going to kill you. We don't know what persecution is today. We know what inconvenience is today. We're talking about a church that understood persecution. And the Bible says that they did not deny Christ during that persecution. I'm convinced as I've studied history and as I look at the situation our churches are in in the day and age that we live, I am thoroughly convinced that churches, when religious liberty takes place, become apathetic. We began to drift and deviate from the Word of God, and we are more concerned with our distance from the world than we are our closeness to the Word of God. And if the world is waxing worse and worse, all that means is we are also. There needs to be a desire among God's people and a revival among God's people in a day that we now experience, which is a day of religious freedom. There needs to be a consecration, a dedication, we used to call a phrase years ago when I was a kid, we need to get a little grit in our crawl and bite down and bear down and say, I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to stand on God's Word. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be steadfast. Because we're living in a day where even good churches, where even King James Version Bible churches, I'm talking about churches that still sing from the old hymnals, are beginning to depart from God's Word. And the sad thing is they don't realize it. It's such a gradual creep. And I, I, I personally, this is my personal observation, I believe it to be this reason. Because they are so worried about where the world is and where they are in relation to it. And I tell you, that should never, never be the standard of a Christian. I don't care where the world goes. My measurement is never the world. My measurement is how close am I to this book. And I'll tell you this, if I make this my measurement, I don't care where the world goes, I'll know that I'm in the right place. We've got to be careful of this, folks. We're living in a day where I'm telling you, there's churches that you and I would go to. We like their music. We like the personality of the people. We like the personality of the pastor. They use a King James Bible. Their doctrinal statement is right, and yet they're drifting. We've got to be careful. This is the church that Jesus spoke to. He doesn't have anything negative to say of them. He said, I've set before you an open door. You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. He encourages them to continue to do so. 
we're at 8 o'clock already and we're only halfway through this church. So rather than trying to get through it in a hurry and rush through the notes, I think we'll end there tonight. I want to challenge us, though, with what we've learned already about the church at Philadelphia because we're getting ready to see, uh, in two weeks now, we're getting ready to see a church that is in stark contrast to it. And I think in the day that we live right now, we've got a lot of churches that look a lot like the church at Philadelphia, but they are becoming fewer and fewer. And we've got a lot of churches that are looking like the church at Laodicea, and they are becoming more and more. Oh, that we would hold to the truth. Oh, that we would recommit. We would dig in our heels and say, I'm not budging. I'm not going any further. This book is right. God's Word is true. And I'm going to measure what I do in my life by its principles, not by what everybody else says I ought to be. we got to be careful so much of not drifting and being steadfast in this area. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. We don't have a pianist tonight, but if God has spoken to your heart, let me encourage you, if you would, to get along with Him sometime between now and the time that you go to bed tonight. Maybe it'll be just in the next few moments of us closing out the service here. And do business with God and make the commitments and the changes in our life. Uh, I've found in my life the hardest thing is not knowing God's Word, but it's doing it. It's putting into practice the things that I know to be right. And uh, we need a recommitment of that. I'm going to ask Brother Wade Meyer, if you would, to close us in a word of prayer tonight and then take time to fellowship afterwards and we'll be dismissed right after that. Brother Wade Meyer, if you wouldn't mind closing us in prayer, please.